Um, this morning we're continuing our Set Apart series, um, which we began last week. Um, so this is going to be the last one for a while because we're going to be starting our Christmas series next week. So um, there'll be no shirt next week, Christmas jumper. Um, I'll have to go out and buy one of those. Um, so yeah, get your Christmas jumpers ready for our Christmas series. Um, I know some people like don't like to start talking about Christmas until the 1st of December, but you know, it's okay to get excited. It's all right to have a little bit of joy in your life, you know? There's no scrooges here, okay? So anyway, the good news for you this morning is that this is the last you're going to see of me up here uh, speaking for a few weeks. Just don't get too excited. Just for a few weeks. Um, Rebecca is on next week. Two weeks' time. Um, Louise is, is going to be speaking to us. So um, I am, I'm really excited about that. And then Rebecca will do the one after that. And I'll close our Christmas series um, probably at the end of the 15th of December. Um, so anyway, um, just to continue on with our Set Apart series this morning, last week I talked a little bit about what consecration is. And one of the things I said is that holiness starts with friendship. As we do life with Jesus, as we spend time in his presence, then we begin to look more like him. We become transformed um, and our lives start to reflect him. And as followers of Jesus, we've been invited not into a religion, but we've actually been invited into something much better. We've been invited into relationship. And in a healthy relationship, we spend time together and we talk to each other. Um, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning exploring what it means to have a close friendship with Jesus. A friendship where we can be with him as well as do things for him. Where we can be as well as do. So that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to pray for us and then we're just going to get stuck right in. So Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you you're with us here this morning. Thank you you've invited us into a deep friendship with you. What a friend we have in Jesus. We can depend on you. There's nothing that's too big for you. And so this morning we, um, we just stretch our expectation beyond the things that we think are impossible. And we say that you're enough for us this morning, Jesus. You're enough. You have all that we need. So come and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles with you or an electronic device, then you can look up Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 and 7. It's on the screen anyway, so don't worry if you don't have your Bible with you. Um, Colossians is another one of Paul's letters. Um, this time he was writing to a church plant in a city called Colossae. And uh, this is towards the end of his life. So by this stage, he had kind of planted several churches. He was a seasoned and experienced church planter and pastor with lots and lots of experience to pass on. And, and he's kind of speaking or writing to this church in Colossae as a kind of father figure who's concerned about the spiritual welfare of this young church. And one of the things that he says to them is this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And in other translations, 
um, they, they say things like this. So the Good News Translation, since you've accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, live in union with him. Live in union with him. Or the International Standard Version. So then just as you've received the Messiah Jesus the Lord, continue to live dependent on him. And so it's actually quite easy just to skip past this little verse if you're reading um, the book of Colossians. Um, but it's actually such an important sentence from a wise leader who's, who's led an incredibly fruitful life. And his message to the church there is really simple and it's really clear. He's saying to them, stay close to Jesus. Remain in him. Put your roots down in him. Stay connected to him just as you started out when you first met Jesus all those years ago and he met all of your needs, when he took all of your shame and there was that transaction that happened at the cross just as you started out, so continue on. Every day of your life should be lived in this dependency or in this union with him. And John Wimber, who we've talked about often here, he, God used him instrumentally in the early days of the Vineyard Movement. He often taught on this verse, and he would say, the way in is the way on. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And um, it actually seems really obvious, doesn't it? That the way that we first met Jesus should just be the way that we live our lives on a daily basis, living in dependency on him, where we're vulnerable before him and we're laying everything down at his feet. Um, but the reality is at times um, we can lose our way a little bit and we can forget we, why we signed up to this thing in the first place. Can't we? We can become a little bit distracted um, by the activity maybe of being a Christian and of being part of a church. And, and actually, uh, we can forget why we, why we signed up in the first place. Why we fell in love with Jesus. And the truth is we weren't invited into a life of activity and busyness. And we weren't invited into a life of rules and regulations. We were invited into a deep and loving friendship. We were invited to walk daily with Jesus and to be dependent on him and sure he might ask us actually to do a few things along the way like plant the church or lead worship or serve in the kids room or even something outside of this church like start your own business it doesn't have to be constrained to here um, but, but we might end up actually doing something for him and serving him but he only actually asks us to do things from the place of friendship and sometimes we can just get caught up in doing things because we think that they're the right things to do instead of asking Jesus what he really thinks. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, Mum and dad and my brothers and sisters, we all kind of were raised in a Christian community. And so it's actually hard to point to the exact moment that I gave my life to Jesus. And if anybody's kind of uh, been raised in a Christian family, you'll understand what I mean. It can be a little bit confusing at times. You're kind of like, am I in? Am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Um, and uh, I was probably a little bit worried at times if I was in or not. So I just made sure I gave my life to Jesus at every opportunity, right? Um, but anyway, something deep and profound happened whenever I was about nine and I was on a kids weekend and I mentioned that a little bit last week. Our podcasts are up on SoundCloud, by the way, um, so you can catch up there. But anyway, I was on this kids weekend and I remember going home afterwards and my older brother and my older sister were there too. 
And all three of us just kind of came away absolutely buzzing. The Holy Spirit was really working in a profound way um, over the course of that weekend. And we couldn't start, we couldn't stop talking about Jesus. We couldn't stop reading our Bibles. All of a sudden, there was just this love and this passion for, for the Scriptures. And, and we couldn't stop praying and talking to Jesus. And for, for many of you, you've experienced that same joy when you invited Jesus into your life. That kind of first love, if you like. And a passion may have bubbled up. And maybe you wanted to pray and talk to him all the time and you felt really close to him. But the reality is that we actually have to be intentional to stay closely connected in any relationship. It's kind of similar um, whenever you fall in love. And, and uh, I know whenever Rebecca and I, we, we met each other, it was all like uh, passion and, and incredible and romance. And, and uh, I can't believe I'm up here talking about this. But, uh, <laughs> but, but actually, they say about two years in, that kind of starts to subside and fade and then you actually have to, you're left with something you have to work at. And you actually have to learn to love somebody. And it's actually very similar with, with Jesus as well. Except he's perfect, right? That's the difference. Um, and, and so if you, if you think about it, um, if you, if you don't spend time intentionally with your friends or with your husband or wife, or if you don't talk with them, if you're not vulnerable with them, then that relationship is just going to grow stale. It's not going to thrive. And the same is true as followers of Jesus. We start out in the place of relationship with him. Our heart's desire is to be with him. Our heart's desire is to have friendship with him and union with him. But often we get caught up in the activity and, and we get caught up in the doing things for Jesus and we end up taking our eyes off him. But the way in is the way on. The way we started is the way that we should continue. It's not actually that complex. If we want to live lives that are fruitful, if we want to leave legacy and have kingdom impact, then we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to stay connected to him. If you want to be transformed and have rich relationships, then you need to stay close to Jesus. If you want to be a good parent, then you need to stay close to Jesus. And I know for me, the, the times whenever I really struggle and, and uh, find it difficult to be a parent are the times whenever I'm actually not spending a lot of time with Jesus. The way in is the way on. And in just a moment, we're going to turn to John chapter 15. Um, but this whole section of John from the end of chapter 13 through to chapter 17 is called the Farewell Discourse. So Jesus had spent three years with his disciples. He taught them so much together. They'd seen so many miracles as well. and They'd seen God's kingdom breaking in in such incredible power. They'd seen so many good things together. It had been a whirlwind of a three years. But here they are deep in conversation. This is the hours immediately after the Last Supper. They've just enjoyed a meal together. Something really crazy happened. Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. That, that all stuff kicked off. Um, and this is the night before he was crucified. So here they are. They're taking a walk. Um, they're, they're making their way from 
one side of Jerusalem where they had a meal to the other side um, to, the, to a garden in a place called Gethsemane. And um, Jesus is, is having a chat with them and he's just getting them ready. He's preparing them. He knows what's about to happen next. And he's preparing them uh, for a ministry which they're about to be propelled into within a matter of weeks. So he's kind of imparting everything that he thinks is important in this moment. This is, his, this is one of his last opportunities to kind of really talk to them and have a team talk with the guys who are going to lead this movement after he's gone. And um, the route that they were on whenever they were walking, it would have taken them past the temple. Um, so you can see a kind of replica there. And it's likely that they would have seen um, the vine that surrounded the large golden doors of the temple. Okay, so if you look um, at the model of the temple, we can kind of zoom in a little bit and see what the doors is. Qu not quite as good a photo of that or an image of that, but you can see what the doors would have looked like. And so there's a golden vine all the way around it there, and that was representative of Israel. So the chances are uh, that during John 15, or the events um, that John 15 records, Jesus and his disciples are passing by. They're maybe walking in the moonlight, and they can see the moonlight reflecting off this large golden vine. And uh, in the middle of this walk, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says this. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can just imagine the conversation, guys. Things are going to change very soon. I'm going to be gone. You're going to be propelled into an incredible ministry. My friend, the Holy Spirit is going to come and power upon you. This thing that we've been talking about for the last three years, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to explode. You're going to get caught up and you're going to be involved in some of the greatest exploits of all time. But it's only going to work if you're going to stay close to me. It's only going to work if this friendship that we've got going on keeps going. You can't go out and do it on your own. It's just not going to work like that. And they've already experienced the busyness of, of kingdom activity. And Jesus knew that they were going to experience even more in the weeks to come. That they would have known the thrill of being on mission. And they would have seen incredible fruit already as they traveled with Jesus. So it's significant that at this critical time, for him, for Jesus, in these final hours before his death, here he is reminding those close, closest to him to stay close to him, to remain in him. Jesus knew that it's, it's possible to get distracted by activity and forget why we do it in the first place. And if we're to remain fruitful, then we need to stay close to Jesus. 
We have an expansive dream uh, for this region of North Down and for this town of Bangor. We're praying that many people get the experience, the life-changing love of Jesus and get the experience, the joy of friendship with him. But here's the thing. We can't take other people where we haven't been ourselves. So this is so important for us here in this church. Our highest call and our greatest gift to the world around us is actually our friendship with Jesus. If we don't have that, then we may as well just pack up and go, ho go home. That's why we're in this thing. So you might say, sounds great, but where do you start? What does a friendship with Jesus look like? And so the first thing that I would say in response to that is that friends talk. Friends talk. So prayer is simply talking to God. And uh, somewhere along the way, we've, we've super spiritualized what prayer is at times. Um, the Bible doesn't actually say that we should bow our heads and close our eyes really tight and put our hands together and speak in our special prayer voice with eloquently flowing sentences. And if you can't like say really smart sentences, then just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything at all. Um, that's what some prayer meetings are like, yeah? Um, but there's nothing wrong actually, by the way, with bowing your heads and closing your eyes. It helps you focus. So if that's what you do, don't, um, don't listen to me. Um, keep doing it. Um, but I think we've made prayer into more of a ritual at times. We've lost that it's actually about relationship. It's a two-way conversation. It's, it's, it's just a back and forth. And Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, he says, and when you pray, do not be... Oh. I think you need to go back if you, if you don't mind. Double-clicking, Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5 to 8, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And he's not saying you can't have prayer meetings and meet with other people and all that sort of stuff. He's kind of addressing the problem of the Pharisees. Um, so prayer meetings are a good idea. Um, we have them in our church. Um, there's an intercession team that meet on a monthly basis just to pray um, for us, for our church, for our town. Um, and it's a really, really good thing. So that's not what Jesus is saying here, but he's actually going after the hypocritical behavior of the Pharisees who are actually trying to impress other people, who are stopping other people from participating because of their, their religion that they carried around with them. It wasn't about relationship for them. It was just about religion and performance and looking good. And prayer at its root, it's not about using eloquent words. It's just about being real. It's about being honest with Jesus, telling him what you're struggling with, telling him what you're afraid of, crying out to him for help. And one of the things I say to Jesus more than anything else is, is help. 
Jesus, help. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to navigate this particular situation. Or it might be, I have a decision to make. And I say, Jesus, what do you think of this? What would you have me do? What's your view? And I wait for him to speak back. And the truth is, my prayers don't actually sound that smart or eloquent, but they're honest and they're real. And uh, you can't have a deep friendship with anybody um, without vulnerability and honesty. You can kind of just pretend and, and hang out with people and smooth and all that, but you actually can't get into deep friendship without vulnerability and honesty. And so it is when we do life with Jesus. And when we were part of the vineyard in Belfast, they talked about friendship with Jesus a lot. Um, so as well as hearing somebody preach about it, you also bumped into it at all, all the time. Um, it was just kind of part of the, the core DNA of who they were as a church. And it's actually who we are in the vineyard. So it would be normal to be having a coffee with someone after church and to be asked, well, how's it going? How, how, how are you doing with Jesus? Or to go to a life group and, and to have conversations like, what's Jesus teaching you? What's he been saying to you this week? And we've started doing that in, in our life group on a Wednesday night. Before we talk about anything else, we're just taking time to be real with each other. And uh, we've just been asking the question, what's Jesus been teaching you? What's he been talking to you about? What's he been, what's he been, what area of your life are you struggling and you need to invite Jesus into? Because you can actually go to these, these life groups or these Bible studies and you can, have, you can have a full conversation for 30 minutes and everybody's just trying to impress each other with their head knowledge of how much they know the Bible and of what they think a particular verse means. But actually life groups are places where we do life with each other. Where whenever we're struggling, we gather around and we call each other on. And I think a key part of our calling as a church family is to keep pointing each other towards Jesus. So let's be real with Jesus. Let's be real with one another. And uh, I want to say particularly to men who might struggle with this, be real. Do you know, I think the world doesn't need more men who cover up their emotions and who put on a brave face all the time. That doesn't tend to work particularly well. And what this community and what this nation needs are real men who through vulnerability allow themselves to be transformed by Jesus. And I think as men, if we go after Jesus with all of our heart, it's actually going to transform our lives. It's going to transform our relationships. It's going to transform the lives of those around us as well. That takes bravery. Anyway, let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. I think I've got it from here now, Alan, by the way. Yeah, I just hit the wrong button, so it threw it off. But we're back on track now. Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Our relationship with Jesus began with a supernatural exchange. He took all of our sins and he exchanged it, all for his, he exchanged it for his love. He accepted us 
into his family. We gave him all of our burdens and he gave us a place at his table. But that first exchange that we experienced when we began our relationship with Jesus was actually supposed to be the first of many. It wasn't just a one-time transaction. Yes, whenever we came to Jesus and we gave our life to him, we were part of his family forever. But actually, that whole process, that motion of coming to him uh, to, to, to kind of dump our junk off and take, the, take, take his love and acceptance, that was supposed to be an ongoing motion, an ongoing process. The way in is the way on. And so when we worry, we're supposed to bring our worries to him and to ask him to give us his peace. When we're hurting, we're supposed to bring our hurts to him and ask him to minister his healing. And that's actually really good news because it means we don't have to walk day by day letting that hurt just poke away at us. Like when somebody does something to you that actually niggles and gets in and hurts a little bit and you need, you need to forgive that person. It's really hard to do that without a conversation with Jesus. Like I don't, I don't know how it's possible to go through life without following Jesus, without walking with him day by day. When we're scared, we're supposed to bring our fears and ask him to give us courage. And uh, one of those translations we looked at earlier, it says, continue to live dependent on him. And the truth is, if we don't have, if we don't develop a relationship of dependency with Jesus, if we don't lean into him to get all of our needs met, then we'll actually end up looking to fill that void with something else. It's just, there's just a hole in our soul. And somehow or other, we've got to fill it. And so if you look around you, if you look around the people that you work with, if, if you look around the people in your neighborhood, like many people are turning to the wrong things to get their needs met. And so there's patterns of brokenness. When we're not walking in dependency of, of, on Jesus, we start looking to other things. And one of the things, um, I know these things by one of the names is, is empty wells. And that just kind of comes from a passage, a verse in Jeremiah. It says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So we've, we've talked about this before. These broken cisterns, these empty wells, they're things that we turn to, uh, things that we long for, or things that we chase after to try and fill the hole in our soul. And sometimes we're consciously aware of our desires and we, we actively feed them. And at other times, they're, they're, they're actually more subtle and they're a little bit harder to detect. But nevertheless, we all have these broken cisterns, things that we turn to as a counterfeit. We're trying to get our needs met from other things and and they might be long-term ideals that we strive towards like like beauty or power or money achievement romantic relationship peer approval security social standing if i just have that job then my life will have meaning if i just have that car or that house if i can just get to my goal weight then everything 
is going to make sense. I will have finally made it. Or maybe they might be more short-term alternatives that we try to get our emotional and sp- we turn to to try and get our spiritual and emotional needs met. So short-term fleeting comforts like pornography or food or chocolate, sex, TV, alcohol. Um, I could go on, but I think that you get the idea. And the, the truth is that we can only find peace in Jesus. He's the only one that can ever meet our needs. Some of these things might mask our pain for a couple of hours. But it's not going to lead us into life. It's not going to release and grow good fruit in our lives. And it's not that all of these things are bad for us all of the time. Um, some of them definitely are. But if we're looking to them to fill a hole in our soul, then it's probably an empty well. Because we can only find meaning and purpose in Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's not like a glass of wine is, is bad all of the time. But if we're using that glass of wine or that bottle of wine to try and mask pain because we've just had a hard day and, and we, need to, we need to kind of cover it up and just numb the pain that we're feeling or the insecurity that we're feeling, then it's an empty well. We can only experience love and freedom in Jesus and all that these empty wells will do for us is grow bad fruit in our lives. They'll make us physically, emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. We're only supposed to drink from the well of living water, from Jesus. It's only by being connected to his vine that we will bear good fruit in our lives. So we've got to learn to develop rhythms for taking our brokenness into the presence of Jesus. And swapping it for his love and grace. And so whenever they teach about this in the kids' rooms, um, they simplify it a little bit and they talk about God swaps. That exchange, that going to Jesus with, with our brokenness and receiving his living water. They just talk about it as a God swap. When they give him their bad stuff and they take the good stuff. And it's really simple. That's the way that we've been called to live. Day by day. And a life marked by deep friendship with Jesus, that kind of gap between something creeping into our heart, whether it's fear or hurt or whatever it is, and that going to Jesus, it just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So when we're living in in deep dependency on him, it's actually like, before I go into that meeting, I know I need to deal with this. Because I know that person's making me defensive. Or I'm feeling defensive. And so I actually need to go to Jesus and talk to him about what he really says to me about me. Or whenever somebody does something that, that hurts you and you need to forgive them, a life marked by intimacy and deep friendship with Jesus, that, that, that process just happens an awful lot quicker 
that we don't let unforgiveness fester and bitterness and resentment fester in our hearts for weeks and weeks and months and sometimes years. But whenever we live in deep friendship with Jesus, we just learn to go to him daily. And the days become hours and minutes and seconds when we live in deep friendship with him. Because he walks with us. His presence is with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us all of the time. And this is how this relationship works. Um, as I was preparing this, um, I was reminded of the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. This is before Keith decided to, Keith didn't know what I was talking about whenever he picked a song, What a Friend, this morning. So this is an older, What a Friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The other thing I want to say uh, this morning is that friendship with Jesus sometimes involves a little bit of pruning, right? If we're truly following Jesus, then we're being transformed to be more like him. Yes, um, we will sometimes do things for him. We're committed to partnering with him to see his kingdom come. But more than anything else, when we follow Jesus, we are the project. He's working in our hearts in our lives, to make us more like him. We're like mirrors that are being polished all of the time so that we become a purer and clearer reflection of Jesus and his love to the world around us. It's called sanctification. Okay, It's the process of being made or becoming holy and being set apart for a special purpose. And sanctification, just like salvation, where it all started for us with Jesus, is a work of God's grace in our lives. It's not about us cleaning ourselves up and trying to act or behave like a Christian. That's called religion. Sanctification only happens through friendship. It only happens when we're real with Jesus, when we invite him into our broken and messed up lives to walk with us and to lead us into freedom. And so um, in, in the, the Vineyard in Belfast, they have this kind of discipleship tool called the Gospel of Wholeness. Rebecca taught about it last year. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really kind of, it's a one-to-one -one process where you meet with somebody and, and you kind of work through um, some teaching. Um, and it's just an opportunity to get prayer ministry over a period of sort of 68 weeks. And... Um, Many, many of us who were involved in leading different things kind of went through it. Loads of people in, in the Vineyard in Belfast went through it. We may well do it at some stage in, in this church and when we have a little bit more um, capacity to do some things like that. But I was kind of doing that about six or seven years ago and the Holy Spirit began to highlight some stuff in my life that I needed to invite Jesus into. 
things that I needed to get healing and, and, and areas of my, my life where I needed to get some freedom. And uh, over, over a period of a few weeks, um, I started just to become more aware of some bad fruit in my life, things like anger and overwhelming shame at times. And uh, what would have been the easy thing to do is just kind of walk away or bottle that up or not actually be real about what was going on in my heart. Uh, and it was actually more difficult to, to actually be honest and be vulnerable and to invite Jesus into my mess. And so as I did that, he was able to show me some of the root issues that I had in my life that were keeping me back from the fullness of what he had for me. And it wasn't an easy journey. Um, I had to be really vulnerable with Jesus and with one or two other people who came along uh, beside me and who prayed for me and with me. But something shifted back then, something over about six or seven years ago. Um, and, and yes, life, I'm not saying this is just like a one-off event. This is actually gospel wholeness is more about training people uh, to, to walk day by day with Jesus. How to turn to him in your times of need rather than turning to the other things. But something shifted back then. And since then, I've seen a lot less of the bad fruit in my life and a lot more of the good fruit. And none of that actually involved me trying just to clean myself up or just to act differently. Healing and freedom came from the place of vulnerability and being real with Jesus. Letting him work his grace in my life and minister his love to me. And something really amazing happened um, not long after uh, that, that kind of time in my life, maybe um, a few weeks after I kind of completed the, the, the process, if you like. And it's a never-ending process, so I even hate talking about it like a process because life with Jesus is an ongoing relationship. My dad used to say to me whenever I made a mess or something, I had to kind of go and apologize. Dad, I've done something really stupid. It's okay, son. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey of being transformed. But something amazing happened um, around that time. Uh, my boss in work at the time, he, he kind of came up to me and he says, Ben, I've been watching you for a while. Um, something's different. Something's changed. It's like you're more confident. It looks like you're lighter and you're, you're a lot happier. It's, not, it's like you're not carrying a weight around with you. Something's different. What's going on? And I'm kind of like, whoa, I have to talk about Jesus. I have to tell him about Jesus. What else can I say? So I just got to tell him about, about Jesus, and I got to tell him about what Jesus had been doing in my life. And I got to share a little bit of my story with him, of what Jesus was doing at that time. And it was a really powerful conversation. And it was actually the first of many powerful conversations. And that's kind of how this thing works. Our greatest gift to the world around us is our friendship with Jesus. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15 it says this, But in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
And so this is one of the primary ways that we share the good news of Jesus with the world around us. It's actually an overflow, an overflow from a life of friendship with him. Our story or testimony, as you may refer to it, and by the way, um, I actually try really hard to avoid words that are too churchy, um, like testimony and fellowship. I was speaking to another pastor once, and they, they said it was the, the fellowship was the F word. They've banned it from their church. We're not going as far as that here. Um, but actually, all I'm trying to do, I'm kind of joking with you, but um, sometimes whenever we're part of a church, we've just kind of been in our bubble for so long, and we forget that we have words that nobody out there knows what they mean. So um, that's why I'm always really conscious of the language that I use, um, because uh, we want people who don't know Jesus to come here and to meet with him. And we're weird enough as it is, so we're just trying to get less weird, so we're trying not to use churchy language. Anyway, uh, our, our story shouldn't be something that just happened to us once. It's what Jesus is still doing in our lives, what he's been doing this month what he's been doing this week. And if we're walking in, in, in a deep friendship with Jesus, our stories will be fresh and real. And as we walk with him, he'll prune us at times. And being pruned means opening our lives to Jesus so that he can cleanse, heal and put us back together again. And it's not something we do through our own efforts, but it's a work of God's grace. And, and here's what I'm not saying. Some people blame every bad thing in their life and say it's God pruning them or they're going through the fire or something like that. But not everything in your life that is hard is a result of being pruned by Jesus. So let me just give you one, uh, one example of that. Rebecca and I have three wonderful boys now, but just over 10 years ago, um, before Joshua was born, we went through the trauma of losing a couple of babies just in the early stages of pregnancy, and we never got to meet them. And uh, if anybody's ever gone through that, it was just a heartbreaking time. Um, but we, 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 we didn't think for one minute that that was God that did that to us. We know that he's a good father, and, and good fathers don't do nasty things just to teach their children a lesson. So if you think about it, you wouldn't dream of putting your own child through something like that, through heartache and trauma. But, but if it happened to them, I'd bet you'd be there to journey with them as they walk through it. And so it is with us and Jesus. We, we can't blame him for all the bad stuff that happens in our lives. It's not his fault. Some of it's our fault at times. Our decisions. Some of it's the enemy. And we still live in a time when the enemy has power for just a little longer, but his days are numbered. But what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in him. A friend who always has our back. A friend we can always rely on to be there for us. Through the good times and the bad as well. And I think if we choose to be a people who can stay close to Jesus, things will, will, there'll come a time when things around here are bigger and people know of us a bit more and all that sort of stuff. But more than anything else, 
I want us to be known for people of his presence. People who know Jesus. People who live in just present relationship with him, who it's real. It's not just stories that they've pulled out from 15 or 20 years ago, but actually when you get into the nitty gritty, there's nothing happening. We don't want to be people that pretend. We want to be people who are authentic day by day. And I think that's more attractive. That's what the world needs more than the show, more than the performance, more than all the razzmatazz and the lights and the smoke machines. We've got lights, no smoke machine yet. But we're really good friends with Jesus. Do you want to come back up, Keith? Hell. Let's stand. I'm going to worship. See, I'm going to kind of wreck your worship set. Would you mind doing that song, What a Friend, again? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that we can walk in deep friendship with you. Thank you we can depend on you. Come and have your way. Be the king of our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus.